Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. kids at 15, 16, 17. However, you can look at it by age, you can look at it by preparedness. Was I prepared to have a child? Did I have a, a career? No. Did I have a house? No. Did I even have a car? Uh, no, I did not. A lot of what we do for children is designed for the expediency of a bureaucracy, right? Why does a class have the teacher up front and all the chairs face forward and they test on Friday and study on Monday. It's the weird expectation that the kids are just going to come to whatever we do and if they don't, something's wrong with them. I think we do a great job of rewarding the absolute gold medal winners, but we don't do a great job of maximizing the utility and the enjoyment that average people get out of life because still that's who most of the people are so a lot of times you ask kids you know what do you want to be when you grow up and that has the uh, inbuilt notion that the job that you have is your identity right and that again that assumes that the person will move to perfectly fit the job but instead you could say what do you want to do or what problem do you want to solve right you don't have to know the name of the job yet you have to know what do you want to do what do you enjoy there's so much opportunity out here so much unmet need that I think you can find something that fits you so perfectly that you can never be supplanted you can be the best you Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of the Face World podcast. I am your host, Fei Wu. I am here today to guide you through another episode of Face World, celebrating unsung heroes and self made artists, people and things I find interesting and would like to share with you. But I know time is the most precious thing, so I thank you for choosing to spend it with me. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jeff Gray, also known as Professor Gray from the Platform Podcast. The Platform is a show about, let me see, book signing, polyamory, sex, drugs, groundhogs, killer whales, and sharks, and so much more. Jeff is a very talented and interesting person to talk to. He is a father, a record producer, studio engineer, podcaster, as well as human services, nonprofit consultant. Our conversation travels through the most unexpected, unscripted places. Jeff and I met at the podcast garage in Brighton, Massachusetts, during an event featuring guest speaker, Radio Diaries founder and executive producer, Joe Richman who is a Peabody award-winning producer and reporter whose pioneering series Teenage Diaries brought the voices of teenagers to a national audience on NPR's All Things Considered. 
When Jeff recorded his teenage diary back in 1998, he referred to himself as African. He had a black father and a white mother. And like many teenagers, he was trying to figure out who he was. Nearly 20 years later, now he calls himself Mulatto. In fact, he is the founder of something called the Mulatto History Month that celebrates the unique experiences of mulattoes. By the way, it's from February 15th to March 15th every year. Our conversation travels beyond our lives as podcasters and really delves into history, geography, race, and education. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hey, quick announcement. FaceWorld recently released a mini-series called The Freelancer's Starter Kit. Two episodes are already in and can be found right before this one. I cover an array of questions related to freelancing, often not discussed in popular media by prominent teachers and gurus. Things such as setting up your own company, how to be more effective on the job, how to discipline yourself and manage your time wisely. What about health insurance for you and your family while working as a freelancer? You get the idea. I welcome you to check it out, leave your comment, and ask me any questions you have. For now, without further ado, please welcome Jeff Gray to the Face World Podcast. What has a parenthood um, taught you, you think? What have you learned? Um... A big thing I learned, well, the good thing is, so I became a, a parent, and I always knew, well, I won't say always, but when I was thinking about jobs and I'd worked retail and stuff like that, I had told myself, like, yo, I know I want to work in the inner city with kids. And so I ended up getting a job at a residential shelter, and I ended up, I started off not that great at it, but I ended up becoming really good at working with the kids and understanding them and stuff like that. And then I became, I did all these different things, there's all these roles, like I became a family partner, working with moms who have kids with challenges. Mm -hmm. I became a mentor, working directly with the kids. I became a supervisor. I started training people on how to do those things. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I did all that as I had a kid. So Mm -hmm. it's like I was reading ahead in the book. You know what I mean? I was a few chapters ahead Mm -hmm. because when my kid was three, I'd already worked with some three-year-olds and some mothers of some Mm three-year-olds. So those two things in in concert with each other really helped me to work with kids and work with my own kids. And what it's shown me is you can be a good, stable uh, caregiver for kids. You don't have to yell at them. You don't have to hit them. You don't have to break their little heart to to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is be stable, be fair, use your words, and accept that to a great degree, uh, kids are not a blank slate. They are who they are, and you got to try to find a way to help them learn how to navigate the world with the set of like traits that they have, mm-hmm. rather than saying, like, a good kid is compliant, right? Mm-hmm. I, again, I'll jump to these broad... Um, stereotypes, but I do think they're probably rooted somewhat in truth. The idea of the Asian tiger mom, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that, it's it's great to be engaged and it's great to have expectations of your kids. But on the other hand, it can be very oppressive to say, I'm going to just, I'm going to pound my kid into the exact shape of a child mm-hmm. that I always wanted or yeah. always thought was the right way to be. Yeah. But it doesn't work. It's not true. Yeah, You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so the number one thing that I know with my, I have two sons now, 
uh, 13 and 10. And the number one thing that I know with them is that to a great degree, they are who they are. And I try to help them see like you, they, ha- they, they have to participate in their own child rearing. Yeah. They're not like a Bronco to be broken. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what I know. Wow, they have to be involved in their own child. Yeah, that's very eye-opening. So I saw that um, some brief introduction bios mm-hmm. about you, that you're involved in you know, charity and, and nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. I think those are related to the stories you just shared with mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, I, sometimes I help people design mentoring programs or campaigns around uh, young people in education. Kind of, you know, jack of all trades, but it all has to do with dealing with kids and how kids actually are and how kids, you know, the the theory of change and how people actually change. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do for children is designed for the expediency of a bureaucracy, right? Why does a class have the teacher up front and all the chairs face forward and they test on Friday and study on Monday? It's because... It's the, you know, they call it the factory model of yep. educating, right? Yeah, since the 1960s, nothing right. have changed. Right, and <laughs> it's not because it works very well in terms of, that's why they say, well, our system is failing, and what's wrong with our kids? Do they need more medication? Or, oh, it's not working out. Kids these days are too distracted with their iPads. It's, a, it's the weird expectation that the kids are just going to come to whatever we do, and if they don't, something's wrong with them, mm-hmm. right? I'll work with a mother. And she'll have a two-year-old and she'll say, I don't know, I bring her to work and she just can't sit still. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, you mean to tell me you're a two-year-old, can't sit for eight hours because you need to work? Yeah. Right? I don't know if you ever heard the parable of the drunk that lost his car keys and he looks for his car keys under the lamppost because that's where the light is best. <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Things don't, uh, things aren't convenient like that. Yeah. Instead, you know, two-year-olds, they are bouncing all around. And they are, you know, that's not how they learn. They don't learn in the way that happens to be affordable or that happens to be the way to teach 30 kids or we need to meet these deadlines. They don't learn that way. Mm-hmm. And they don't, and behaviorally, they don't, they don't kind of learn that way. A lot of our expectations are based on the idea that if we do things a certain way, the kid will, you can make a two-year-old sit for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. If you do things a certain way, you can make every kid love to read whatever book you put in front of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're just going to love reading Johnny Tremaine if you just do it the right way. You know what? Adults... There's no book that adults all love to read either. Yeah. Why do, why, how come we can't make that connection? There's no TV show that all adults like. There's no food that all adults like. Adults are allowed to say, oh, I have my idiosyncrasies. But uh, children are expected to like, you'll, you'll like what I put in front of you. Think about what it really feels like to choke down a food that you absolutely hate. So, I remember those times. Right. Because, you know, it was to, like, forced it's, on me. It's almost fucking impossible. Yeah. To like, I, I really don't like eggs. I really don't like them. The idea of making me eat a plate of eggs, like, it's like torture. Yeah. But we routinely, for kids, we say like, you'll eat this and you'll like it. Yeah. I can't like something on purpose. I like what I like. Yeah. The idea that children are a blank slate on which we can impress our values and our ideas and that they're not inborn with certain uh, uh, tendencies, I think it traumatizes a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. I think instead of forcing down either a concept, a certain type of food down someone's throat, mm-hmm. I, I do like the model to help kids become more exploratory, mm-hmm. you know, to say that the simple this the simplified version of that is like try it you don't have to like it mm-hmm. um what are your thoughts on that i think the truth is it's not really possible a lot of parents get into what we call power struggle because it's not possible to make people do things think about this mm-hmm. in guantanamo bay right now there's some goat farmer <laughs> who got captured right maybe he was 
with Al-Qaeda. Maybe he wasn't. And he had captured. He's brought to this place. And he has the full weight of the American government's boot on his neck. But if he refuses to eat, he can actually kill himself just by refusing to eat. The CIA and the FBI can't make him eat. They can't. And they can put tubes and stuff in them. But in the end, if he decides he's not going to eat, no one can make him. That's because people have autonomy and they cling to it. Mm -hmm. They cling to their autonomy. And so really, everyone has power and a series of choices. So the way that I usually teach it is if then, right? Mm -hmm. I don't say, you know, uh, Faye, you have to eat your food. Mm -hmm. I say, Faye, if you don't eat this, then you can't have dessert. But really, that's a choice. You can say, I'd rather not eat eggs and not get dessert. And then there you have it. Faye's not going to starve to death because she'll just eat tomorrow. She'll be fine. Yeah. She already had two yeah. meals and four snacks. Yeah. But just if then, everything, if then. If you don't do your homework, then you can't have video games. Now I'm going to stand over you and pinch the back of your neck and make you write. I can't make you do homework. Yeah. You can't make someone pick up a pencil and write the right answer. You can't do it. Yeah. But you just say, if then, and let them make the choices. And 99% of the time, the things that you want done, because you're the adult, they're actually thought through and they make sense. Mm -hmm. So, and the, the trade-off is a good one. So if you don't do your homework, which is going to take you 20 minutes, you can't go outside, which you'd have three hours to go outside. Yeah. You just say that to the kid. But if they want to sit and look at the homework tonight, they might. And then tomorrow, the same thing until they finally realize, oh, doing it this way is, is the better way. That's all you really have to do. You can get rid of the yelling mm -hmm. and that you're just like your father mm -hmm. and that I'm going to beat you and the kneel on, <laughs> kneeling on rice and all this trash that people do to try to break the spirit. But all that does is set you diametrically opposed and make you power struggle. Mm -hmm. Because if I just say, Faye, get up right now, stand up. Immediately you feel like, yo, I'm not like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just rebel. If I, but if I say, Faye, if you don't stand up, that, that, uh, that spider is going to crawl on your leg. Yeah. Then you stand up or maybe you choose the spider. I recognize the autonomy even of two-year-olds. Mm -hmm. And I, if you can do that, you can let kids kind of explore the world. If you can't do this, if you can't, if, if you can't stand up in this grocery store, then we can't go to the grocery store and get treats. Mm -hmm. If you can't buckle your seatbelt, then we can't drive. Mm -hmm. And you can put all the kind of weight on them. Wow. <laughs> you've you've had a lot of experiences. I I love the this process of discovering mm. uh, versus just reading about someone you know in a book or online somewhere. But do you still have this type of experiences where this this was a chapter or phase of your life earlier on? Well, the, this is one of those abilities and one of these kind of philosophies that kind of stays with you because I'll be at the I'll be at the grocery store or something and I'll see a kid you know, going crazy and the mother or father's at their wit's end and I can walk over sometimes and oftentimes in 20 seconds, get them up and going, right? That's and just, just walk away and, and, you know what I mean? It's not, it's a very personal thing because people feel a lot of shame when their child is acting up. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment. And in a way they even might feel upstage, so you gotta do it in a real subtle way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just like there's the dog whisperer, there's kid whisperer. You know what I mean? What did you whisper? Now I think people are really gonna. You want to know what trick? Yeah. So, one thing you could do if you're truly an extrovert and don't care, and the kid's laying on the ground, you can just walk over and lay down next to him, and then they'll they'll be so confused they'll look at you and you say, "What are we doing?" <laughs> oh. Another thing you can do is, and and that once that confuses them, they forget to cry or be obstinate, or you can say, uh, you know, if. Uh, Faye's pouting in the corner. I say, Faye, you seem sad. Mm -hmm. Are you sad or mad? Mad. Oh, what happened? 
and you just you, you just talk to them, whatever it is like that. Another thing you can do sometimes if someone's really shut down, mm-hmm. just having your presence could mean something and you can sit next to them and not say a word. So I had a kid who was so upset and, and I wanted to say the perfect thing, but I didn't have anything. So mm-hmm. I just sat down next to him shoulder to shoulder and we sat for like 15 minutes. And then suddenly I started humming like, you know, uh, a Celine Dion song or something. Then he cracked and laughed. But really, I had shown that I was just willing to be there with him. He said, I ain't seen him laugh in a long time. Seems like abandoning him to the wrong side. Remember the night they split and we all cried. I think for certain a large part of my heart died. They brought me up thinking life was rainbows and sunshine. So we talked about tricks of how to help kids and then really help parents in those mm-hmm. cases kind of overcome mm-hmm. what so-called the embarrassment. I also want to explore a little bit more about what you do these days. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, your company, the podcast. Mm-hmm. How are people finding more about you and what are you hired to do these days? Mm-hmm. I think a big challenge is to try to find ways to do things that you love and enjoy, but also monetize them without perverting the very thing that you love. So for a while, I so I've also owned and ran a, a, a series of music studios over the years, mm-hmm. and been a record producer and engineer. And there's something that's good about that, but I can't put all my eggs in that basket because to really run a music studio and only do that, mm-hmm. you end up doing a lot of like dog food commercials and stuff like that. I did the music for Lieutenant Massachusetts former Lieutenant Governor Tim Murray's campaign commercial. Mm -hmm. But that's not the glitz and glamour that Jeff Gray really wanted to be a part of. But so I definitely, you know, do music and have a music studio. I also have a podcast called The Platform, which lets me get out my my need to to talk for three hours hours a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my co-host Harry and and my boy D-Math, uh, like I said, I still do help out with nonprofits and, and human services consulting, mm-hmm. given my um, my infinite wisdom on these matters of working with kids and stuff like that. But that's, you know, I try to do all that stuff, and I'm I'm in the process of beginning a nonprofit that will bring beat making and, and music making into kids' schools and after schools. Wow! So that um, you know, because music. Music, music appreciation, you know, instruments and all that stuff has, has virtually dried up at school, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a real, I think it's a real shame, particularly because black people, one of the main things that we have is, is music and doing music. And the idea that that's slowly atrophying at schools, I think it does us a great disservice because we're going away from one of our strengths. Mm-hmm. Wow. So let's talk about the the school real quick. The school system, how are you thinking about integrating that? I mean, which stage of that Mm -hmm. project? Mm -hmm. So here's the challenge. So I could try to run it on the karate class model, right? Which is Mm -hmm. to say, I show up and I say, everyone's parents send in 25 bucks and I'll Mm -hmm. give you six classes. And at the end, you'll have a song and the song would be the equivalent of a green belt, right? Mm -hmm. I could do that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't let me serve who I really want to serve which is the people in the communities that I grew up in for whom they, a lot of those kids would know, don't even ask my mom for 25 bucks for this. We don't have it and we're not going to have that talk. And they just know if it costs money, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm looking for grants and donations so that I can kind of run it, get the equipment, have a little mobile studio going up, 
go out to classes and they would probably, you know, it's going to look something like going to after schools. And let's say I come to after school every Tuesday for six Tuesdays. And we go from talking about the kind of song we want to making the beat, to writing the lyrics, to performing, to recording, to mixing, to mastering. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, they have a song and hopefully a share out, maybe a performance where they perform it for their parents when they come to pick them up or whatever it is. And they get to see, there's really, there's something that music offers. Mm-hmm. Just like I said, t- learning Latin offers something other than Latin knowledge. Mm-hmm. Working on music and being creative offers something other than at the end of it, you've made a song. It offers you the knowledge that you can take an idea and make it real, mm-hmm. that you can think of things and create them and shape and whittle and pound them into shape. And at the end of it, you actually have something that never existed before. Mm-hmm. You, Some people might say, yo, Faye, that song is not that great. Other people say, that's the best goddamn song I ever heard, Faye. But the truth is, that song is new. Mm-hmm. It's new and you created it from nothing. And if you really think about it, that's not an experience. That's such an integral part of the human experience in life, and yet many people go through their whole life and never experience it, right? Mm-hmm. We're sitting, and right now we're in the library sitting in these chairs, but somebody knows how to make a chair like this. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows how to make it. How many chairs has my big ass sat in? Many, and yet I have no idea how they turned, uh, these chairs have uh, curved wooden uh, armrests. How was that done? Mm-hmm. Someone had, that, that's somebody's whole life is. They figured out a better way to, to curve the arms of a chair. Mm-hmm. And that kind of ingenuity and that kind of expression music offers, and the kids are interested in it. That's the other thing. Their interest is there versus we're trying to, you know, I'm, I'm all for Neil deGrasse Tyson trying to get kids into astrophysics. But the truth is a lot of those kids are not interested in astrophysics, but they're almost all interested in music. Mm-hmm. And we can harness that energy for being creative and use it to teach them more about themselves then even I can make a song, I can rap, I can make beats. Teach them that they're the kind of person that can take an idea from a seed mm-hmm. into a redwood. Mm-hmm. That's beautifully said, because I think music does integrate everything. You know, the lyrics, the writing, the, mm-hmm. the music, the movements. It can be really powerful. And I think uh, I recently interviewed a gentleman from UTech, which is um, based in Lowell, Massachusetts. They've mm. been around for more than 10 years They identify high-risk uh, teens anywhere between actually the age of 17 to 23, 24. They meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. I think what this whole conversation for the past 30 minutes or so, that's what we're talking about. We need to meet people, not just children, uh, where they're at so they, right. can, they can see it flourish. Right. You know? The way a lot of things operate in America is that everything's a competition. And so the burden is all on the competitor to get better. And while that does produce some big winners, Uh, it, it leaves a lot of people by the wayside. What if instead we had a system that brought people along that maximized what individuals could do? Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was reading, uh, I read an article and was talking about the difference between the, the children of South Korea and the children of, I believe it was Norway, get similar test scores. And yet the children of South Korea are in school like 12 hours a day and they're doing mm-hmm. that weird abacus counting where their hands are, are counting in the air. Mm-hmm. And then the kids of Norway are just, you know, they're just taking classes and then skateboarding and whatever. Like, they, it's not nearly as serious to them. And what can we learn from that? What a lot of it would have talked about was in Norway, instead of focusing all their time on finding out who's the best and maximizing those people, instead of trying to find the few geniuses, Norway finds the time making sure that it spends all its energy making sure that everyone is adequate. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have very many laggers, even though it may not have as many outliers. And that instead of saying, like, everyone has to be the best, the best, the best, the idea is, like, everyone must know how to do algebra enough that they are functioning at algebra. Mm-hmm. And then you get to go off and have a life. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, we're going to compete at algebra. And if everyone gets 98, then the person that gets 99 is way better than you. Mm-hmm. Right? And America operates a lot on that same, you know, the United States operates on that same model where it's like, okay, we take the cream of the crop, but most of the crop ain't the cream. Most of the crop, so what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the people that aren't born geniuses, who aren't uh, a born LeBron James, who aren't, you know, preternaturally gifted at whatever it is. What happens to them? And I think when you look around, you see that I think a lot of those people, we, I think we do a great job of rewarding the absolute gold medal winners, mm-hmm. but we don't do a great job of maximizing the utility and the enjoyment that average people get out of life because still that's who most of the people are yeah we need to ship you to china because <laughs> whatever you find the issues are in the u.s mm-hmm. i think it's completely polarized to you know the 10th degree mm-hmm. in china that's an educational system that i grew up in mm-hmm. um and i think think about what's even worse than just uh, kind of only benefiting paying attention to um those who are at the top top one two and three it made me, and I believe many others, sort of question our ability in other things that are completely unrelated to school. You right. know? Um, music being one of them right. that was barely, vaguely there. Dancing, uh, painting, making a podcast. These things that I feel that we're excluding children and many adults from the few things that we measure uh, you know, them against. Right. And that's it. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, we really don't do a good job of um, maximizing kind of the talent and the ability of the people we have. You know, I listened to Warren Buffett talk, and he said that, you know, what he does in life is he looks for companies that are just valued incorrectly, right? So he looks for a company, everyone thinks it's worth 10, but he knows it's worth 13. And so he buys it at 10, and he's already made three. And that's just what he's done. That's all he does. And if you look at that with people, too, you look at all the people, you know, how many people do you know? that have this amazing gift or amazing ability or are skilled and you, and you wonder like, but they're so mismatched for what they do for a living, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't do a good job of kind of maximizing our human capital in that way. And I don't, I don't, I'm not foolish enough now to think that I'm going to change the whole system. Mm-hmm. But all I can do is put a little bit of, wedge the door open a little bit for young people to realize like, look, you're the kind of person that can create something from nothing. And you're the kind of person who, if you make your own lane, you can actually do something, particularly as uh, what we might think of as standard jobs contract. By the time the kids that are in school now grow up, there will be no truck drivers. There will be no Uber drivers and there will be no none of that. Mm-hmm. But what are we going to do with those people? My experience in this country so far is we'll just throw them in the trash. Mm-hmm. Can't drive. It looks, looks to me like you'll work at you know, whatever future Walmart for just enough hours to keep you there, but not enough to give you benefits. That's my experience. But a lot of these people, they have skills that they can put to use better, except for they're saying, which lane do I fit in? Mm-hmm. But it's the, And I know that I'm like that, too. There's a thing. If you take all your bronze medals, mm-hmm. there's like a meta job for which you're uniquely qualified for. For example, let's say somebody was and grew up in the inner city, did poorly in school, was a record producer, then learned how to work with kids. That person is uniquely suited to start a nonprofit that helps young people get their foot into music. Mm. Even though I might not be the number one guy to work on music, the number one guy to work with kids, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But when you add those things together, 
you know, some doctor of child psychiatry. That, but can you make beats, though, buddy? No, then you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Someone who does who does production. But do you know how to stop a kid from tearing up a room before he tears up the laptop you need? No, then you can't do this. I think we are you and you and I are kind of similar in some ways that. Um, one of the struggles I had in school, and now I'm figuring things out, even just through this conversation about why I struggled in school, it was because I didn't want to specialize in necessarily math, and math only, and physics only, and chemistry. I never liked chemistry. Doesn't matter what my parents told me, or mm-hmm. other kids fell towards chemistry. Um, but, you know, a lot of things come together. And I think maybe to dissect what, what you just said Uh, right now is an opportunity for parents to help kids realize their potential. But what what do we mean by that, right? It's such mm-hmm. a blanket statement sometimes. Like, figure out a few things or give them the, the opportunity to say, you don't have to always study the piano from 6 to 9 p.m. every single day of the week, right? <laughs> My mom, being a pioneer to all of this, now mm. I appreciate her that I'm older, that she went the other way. Mm. She was the parent who always went the other way. Hey, you're, how old is your daughter? Okay, my daughter's age. You're learning the piano. My daughter is, she ain't gonna learn the piano. She's gonna <laughs> play ice hockey. What are you doing? You Tough, know? great. Yeah. That is cool. Well, I, even th- there's little things in the way that we think about it. So a lot of times you ask kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And that has the uh, inbuilt notion that the job that you have is your identity, right? Mm-hmm. I'm Faye the zoologist. I'm Jeff the accountant, right? Yeah. And that's what you are. And that, again, that assumes that the person will move to perfectly fit the job. But instead, you could say, what do you want to do? Or what problem do you want to solve? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't have to know the name of the job yet. You have to know what do you want to do? What do you enjoy? Mm-hmm. Podcasting, like, what the hell is that? When you have to explain to somebody who's never heard of it, it has a kind of a dumb futuristic name, right? But the truth is, you say, well, I, Faye, I love to talk to people from different walks of life and figure out how they got there. And then I put it up for other people to hear and, you know, they listen or they don't. Yeah. It's a thing, but it's not like a job. Like, oh, I, um, I'm a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a Lego set that comes with a, you know, Faye the podcaster. <laughs> but even so... It's still a, it's it's still legitimate and real, mm-hmm. and being able to disassociate or detach um, who Faye is from like her job, and instead go bigger into like what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. For me, I want to I like I call it you know beating songs out of people. I say I'm gonna we got to beat this song. You know what I mean? Because it is it's like pulling teeth. It's hard, but it's also like hard to put on a resume. Right. No one's going to hire me for that. Whereas if I analyze a lot of data, then I can go to, to the next place and be a data analyst. But here's the thing. I don't want to be a data analyst. Mm-hmm. I think most data analysts don't want to be a data analyst. They have something that they really want to do that's more unique to them. Mm-hmm. But they don't have the courage or the knowledge that that can be done. And instead, they think a job has to be something that they apply to with a resume and they go on uh, ZipRecruiter and Monster and someone will say, I'll, you know, you don't fit all the way, but I'll accept you. Whereas in reality, there's so much opportunity out here, so much unmet need that I think you can find something that fits you so perfectly that you can never be supplanted. You can be, you know, as tried as it is, you can be the best you. Mm, yeah, I, you know, completely echo that. Some a friend of mine said to me when we visited New York um, not long ago, and he's a Broadway actor. And he's mm-hmm. very, you know, uh, very talented, very smart. He said to me, out of the blue, how much smarter have you gotten since you started running the podcast about mm. two and a half years ago? Mm-hmm. And then that 
somehow has never occurred to me in that the way it was stated and it was serious. And I realized, you know, going back to what you said, making the best you and me talking to someone, you, Jeff, who have worked with kids, you know, you as an adult, you didn't didn't sound like you specialized in that. You didn't go to school for that, but you mm-hmm. figure it out on the job. Mm-hmm. And you did that for many more years, I could imagine. And we're talking and I'm learning these things on the fly. Right. And I did this more than a hundred times in the past. And now one day you're going to lay down next to a kid in a grocery store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think knowledge is... Uh, Knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're mm-hmm. drowning. What was the statement? That we're all drowning in information, but we're all craving for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier today, I was looking at a data map mm-hmm. uh, for a client of mine. It was all data. It was very impressive to look at. But what what is the insight, right? They know, and that's why they're making money. But just because it's just something looks pretty or extensive, that doesn't make you smart immediately. It's really interesting. I think what you're essentially teaching, what you're talking about here, correct me if I'm wrong, is engage with kids and adults and teach people how to think and how to learn. Right. How to be, how to think, how to learn, how to be willing to make mistakes, mm-hmm. how to use your ego as much as it can fuel you, but not so much that it is a barrier, right? You got. I tell kids all the time, I had a class I was teaching um, um, on Saturday, and I could just feel the nerves of the kids, and they're so worried. And oh, is this gonna? Are you gonna fix that? Or can I do that again? Oh, I, I wanted this to be better because they, you know. So I have all these phrases that I say. People want to have all these ideas they want to do, and we're only one song in. And I say, if your career, if your music career is a novel, then this song is only one page, which is my way of saying we can't put every idea you ever had in this one song. It won't be good, yeah. right? Or. Um, you know, something I constantly have to tell them is say, go in there and, and perform, and if it doesn't work, we won't use it. The only people that will ever hear it is you and me. And all the all your favorite artists, whoever the favorite artist is, Kanye West or Future or whoever it is, they do this too. They go in there and they do 40 takes, and then they keep the 39th take and they use it, and everyone thinks that that they just walked in there and did that because working hard is not cool. But you trust me, if that guy put out three albums in three years, he worked hard. Mm. And I have all these things that I do to help them uncover, the, the, to get rid of the self-consciousness, mm-hmm. to get rid of the thinking of, well, what if this doesn't make it? What if everyone laughs at me? Or what if it does make it and I blow up, but then it's my only thing? You know, people are already onto their 15th failure. I, I mm-hmm. say, look, we got to be present in the moment, make this song, let go. All these, there's all these little producer's tricks that I learned that it's not that I make somebody good, is that I help them get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. And that's very powerful. I remember my producer asking me to record an intro showing my face about face world. <laughs> that took me three months with a million excuses. And he said, mm-hmm. just turn the camera on and record for 45 minutes an hour, right? Until you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I will make it for you. I'll produce it. The whole thing's turned out to be less than two minutes anyway. Right. And I did it. And I didn't feel self-conscious. It's just, you know, just us. But what you're also getting at, and I'm just getting this different sensations as you're talking, the ability for us to be a Monday afternoon, we're in the Newton Library here. Mm-hmm. Most people here are studying. And all we can hear is each other. Mm-hmm. But think about the environment that we're so accustomed to at work, right? What do you? What do we do after work? Uh, I had a full-time job for 10 years. We go to a bar, and that's mm-hmm. it. To a bar where I personally find very stressful because I couldn't hear other people. I have mm-hmm. no issues with my ears. The idea, people's like, don't you get it? We want to get drunk. We don't want to hear each other. But you're there for these kids. And I have, I have that feeling that you really want to be there and you want to hear them out. 
that means someone that interaction means a lot to you and even more so to them. What do you think of that? I mean, I think it's true overall. I think that a lot of people are longing to be heard and understood and to be have the real them validated. I think that, you know, social media in the digital age provided an opportunity of connectedness, but it also has been punishing because I don't know, you know, I assume most people grew up like this. You got your school friends and your home friends, right? Mm-hmm. And Maybe at school, they pick on you, but at home, they don't. But nowadays, if the kids at school call you big head, then the kids at home are going to find out because they have friends and social media and everyone's connected and everybody knows. So there's no kind of escape from that, right? So worlds are colliding, right? Many people have this experience where for a little while, people were on Facebook and they were being honest and Facebook was a little bit like a college dorm. Mm -hmm. And then as grandma started getting on, he said, oh, another place where I have to pretend like I believe in Catholicism because grandma's looking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When in reality, I like to get drunk and do crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And so people are looking for a place uh, where you can get kind of weird and be yourself. Mm -hmm. Ironically, while we are able to speak to each other more, the places where we can kind of be ourselves has contracted. There's no better way to to end this. Thanks so much, Jeff. It was such a pleasure to be in your presence. And, you know, I felt that right away when you when you were up there speaking with Joe. And a lot of people knew Joe. I actually didn't, but, you know, I've, since then I've become a really big fan. But it was uh, brilliant of him to kind of bring you on stage to reconnect with you. Thank you, Faye. I, uh, thank you for doing this. And I admire your quest and thirst for knowledge. Hey, it's Faye. I am back for a few words at the end of the show. I hope you enjoy what you heard. You can visit us online at faceworld.com or social channels such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, also under FaceWorld to keep things simple. I personally review and respond to all the messages. Love to hear from you. Thank you and lots of hugs. See you next week. In these fast times, chasing lifelines for a lifetime. Had my heart in the right place at the wrong time With the right girl in another world Maybe we would be together still If you hear this and resent that I don't give a shit, I'll let it spill I don't give a damn, I'll keep it real Cause by now I hope you know the drill I would never lie, young forever, I ain't never gonna die Told me grow up and I went and showed them why I could make it, I showed them the power in youth Power in truth, the younger you stay The closer you are to your roots, that's the reason I do I can teach you how to hit the skies Rise above them without getting high But if it help a bit, take a little hit Take a little sip, put your mind at ease where you got the keys You can have your dreams That's up to you Not what others believe Jeez I swear that's the part That your wrong is for me Cause when I drop into a beat I detach from the world View it under my feet Orbit around my dreams And there I perceive my reality And what it means Music is where I can breathe The world in between What I am What I was What I will be It's the only place That I feel free Hope you feel me I am a lost boy From Neverland Usually hanging out With 